So today, as Chris mentioned, we're beginning a new sermon series. And as, and as I mentioned before, we don't begin a new sermon series because there's a checklist some, somewhere of everything that you should preach through throughout a year. And, you know, it's, it's written down and we, and we got to go through certain things. You got to touch on money and you got to touch on marriage. And you gotta, no, we don't, that's not how we, at, at least for, the, for, for our team of elders that leads church in the city, that's not how we decide and come to what we preach on on a Sunday morning. The way we do it, honestly, is the way we would encourage any of us to do anything, and that is listening to God and asking the question, Lord, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to us as a church? So the time that we spent in, uh, the, for the last five weeks exploring and discovering and building into the truths of what it means for Christ to be in us and us to be in Christ, that is continuing the supernatural ministry of Jesus, uh, as Chris shared this morning, it's, it's not... It's not just picking good things to preach on. Hopefully they're good. It's asking the Lord what he's building here at Church in the City and putting our preaching and our direction towards those things. And so today, in that same vein, we want to open up uh, preaching for the next three weeks on a series of, on the richness of what it means to worship God. The richness of what it means to worship God. And the series is called Now and Forever. And we're going to be exploring that richness. We're going to be exploring aspects of God's character That as we get to know him, those aspects draw worship out of us, draw adoration out of us towards God. We're going to be exploring the ramifications of what it means to worship God, the ramifications in us, the ramifications in terms of the kingdom of Jesus, that is the influence of Jesus being advanced and the relationship between our worship of Jesus and and the advancing of his kingdom. We're going to... Talk about the resulting ramifications of what that means here on earth in the kingdom of darkness, the works of the enemy, the works of Satan, the works of the flesh being beaten back and the relationship of our worship of God to those things. And I'll I'll start us off today and then Deb Sudworth and Nancy Whiteley are going to preach the next two weeks to to conclude the series. So there's there's probably many different reactions that you could have to hearing that we're starting a series on worship. Some of you are probably like, oh, this is so exciting. I'm more excited for this series than I've ever been about anything before. I've been going to this church for eight and a half years, and they've never preached on it, and now is the time. Some of you are maybe there. Some of you are sitting there going, oh, man, I've only got, it's only three weeks. I can make it through three weeks. Uh, this stuff makes me itch. I don't like doing it. It's uh, just, just hurry and hustle, and maybe I'll just skip the next two weeks and grab the podcast alone in my closet with the lights off. Some of you are probably just reserving judgment and waiting until the end to see. But I would venture a guess to say that your reaction right now, I know probably mine would. I would join you in this. Your reaction to, to a series on worship and what it means to worship God probably is coming from an understanding of worship that is largely defined by what we were doing for the last 45 minutes. That is worshiping together in song, singing something together, corporately doing the same thing. And, and of course, that is worship. It's not, it's not in error to have that understanding of worship. But I want to ask you a question. Has worship stopped now? Okay. Have we, have we, were we doing worship and now we've stepped into something else? See, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to elbow out the edges of our understanding of what worship is. And that's kind of what I want to do a little bit today that I'm trusting for today as we, as we start this series. You see, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this, 
to this idea of is worship, what is worship in song and is all of worship contained there, is worship other things, and we'll scratch that theological itch in a few moments because I know some of you want to dive into the theology of that because you got your really strong positions and so do I, and that's okay, and that's good. But I want to pose a deeper question as we start off, a question that I feel like we as individuals and we as a church corporately need to wrestle with in terms of this idea of the richness of what it means to worship God. And the question is this, is worshiping God about him or is it about us? Is worshiping God about him or is it about us? And this is one of those questions, you know, you know these questions where like, the theological Sunday school knee-jerk answer starts to rise up in you and it just almost makes it to your mouth and then the filter comes in and you stop because you're just like, you know what you should say and then you know what you actually feel. Is worshiping God about us or is it about him? I think most of us initially, myself included, would say, oh, worshiping God is about God. It's about God. We're worshiping God. It's about him. Case closed. Next sermon series. (laughs) But I think a lot of us, if we're honest would say a little bit of how we go about worship and a little bit of how we live might tend towards the other answer to that question. And that is, well, I'm, I tend to stick into worship and stick with worship that I'm comfortable with and, and kind of where I like to be makes me feel a certain way. And in that way, is worship about me? So is worship about God or is worship about us? And it may surprise you. I, I hope it doesn't or it might. This has been a personal point of wrestling for me for a long time. Now, for over two decades, I have led musical worship. I've led teams in worship, leading churches in worship. I do so here at Church in the City. It's one of my loves. I love doing it. So it may surprise you to to hear that I personally wrestle with this idea of is worship about God or is worship about me? And I wrestle with it because on the one hand, I, I sometimes get guilty if I tend to forget that it's about God. With this, with this idea that worship should really just, it should really cost me something. It should really cost me something as I'm worshiping God. I, I, I don't know why. I just have that idea somewhere. It's like, it's like my wife likes to go to Starbucks to get a chai tea. And I'm like, I can't stand Starbucks, but not really. I was just always against it for some vague moral reason. I don't know. But it's kind of that, that kind of wrestling. It's like, well, I just, this should be about God and it should cost me something. Particularly my enjoyment and pleasure. <laughs> It should just cost me. Or sometimes I swing the other way and I'm like, you know what? I just want to lose myself in the music, the moment. Sorry, no, not going not gonna to quote Eminem. But like, I just want to lose myself and I'm really, if I'm honest, I'm going after that real postmodern idea of a worship experience because I just love it. And I swing back and forth and I wrestle. And is worship about God or is it? about us. And I I, I admit my wrestling about that because I think you probably wrestle with it too, if we're honest. So as we tackle that, and hopefully we we come into some freedom on that question, I first want to scratch that theological itch we were talking about of what contains worship. Is worship what was done? Are we worshiping now? What what are the boundaries of worship? And I want to invite you to to turn in your Bibles to Romans 11, the end of Romans 11. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to dive into a little bit of what Chris read when he was first up here, the end of Romans 11 and the beginning of Romans 12. So listen as I read this together, read this and we'll read it together and the, and the text will be behind me if you don't have your Bible or your phone. 
So Paul writes to the Romans in verse 33 of chapter 11. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, what? Worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. You know, we often start right at the beginning of, verse, of chapter 12 with the therefore. And what's the great hermeneutical question you always have to ask when you see the word therefore? What's it there for? <laughs> so we got to go back a few verses and we got to ask what Paul has been saying. And he starts off with this. First things first, there's no one greater than God. There's no one above God. His magnificence, Paul best describes it here as unsearchable. We can't trace it out. So in light of that, therefore, Paul invites us, urges us in lieu of who God is, in light of that, I should say, in view of that, to offer the complete and utter fullness and wholeness of who we are sacrificially unto him, that all-encompassing wholeness, as our act of true and proper worship. So, because of God's magnificence, our worship to him is far elbowed outside the boundaries of a song or a segment of a church service. We, we have, right now we're in the preaching, the dispensation of preaching, but 10 minutes ago we were in the segment of worship and soon after we'll be in the segment of ministry and then it's the segment of coffee and the segment of lunch and nap and elbow out of that because the all-encompassing fullness of who we are sacrificially before God is the realm of worship. Everything about your very existence is capable of ascribing glory to God. Everything about your existence is capable of ascribing glory and honor to God. And that's why I think Paul uses that phrase, true and proper worship. So yes, we worship in song, and you know what? We're worshiping right now together as we sit under the word of God, and we break it open together, and we consider it, and we let it come over us and into us, and we let it order our lives because God has spoken it and we're allowing it to impact us sacrificially, submitting our lives to it, and that's worship. And that's worship. Connect group leaders, uh, Ken and Ann and, and Dirk and Kathy, when they were up here, when they open up their home during the month and they invite people in, that's an act of worship. When Dirk is, when Dirk is asking the question, Lord, what do you have to say about this? And they're putting, they're putting something down before the Lord and they're asking for the Lord to speak, that's an act of worship. Peck and Michelle, if, where are you guys? Stand up, Michelle, where's Peck? Probably out serving in some way, which he always is, that guy. When they, when, when, when they oversee our hospitality team, and Stephen and Michelle Weinrich and, and, 
Ann and Anthony and Al and all you other guys that I'm forgetting now and I shouldn't have started naming names, when all of you, Julie, when you were here this morning, when they're serving and setting things up and setting an environment of hosting and warmth, inviting to Jesus, that's worship. When you parent your kids, when you marry your spouse, when you go about your school or your work or, or the, every choice you make, every decision, what you buy, what you sell, what you think, what you say, how you are, is the realm of worship. So now let's go back to our question. Is worship all-encompassing, all-surpassing, not one single solitary part of my being escapes it, worship, about God, or is it about me? And I want to submit that the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Get up here and preach, whoever just said that. I'm 15 feet away from my sweet tea, and I'm ready for a break. I'm kidding. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Let's explore that in a moment. If that makes you feel a little uncomfortable, let's explore that. Turn in your, or, sorry, don't turn in your Bibles. Do not. I was at this church, and the pastor told me, don't turn in my Bible to where he was reading. I'm going to read out of Revelation chapter 4. It's not going to be behind me, and I want to invite you in just a moment to close your eyes and just listen to me read it. Now, where we are in the book of Revelation is John, the apostle John, who knew Jesus, has been exiled to the island of Patmos, and Jesus himself has come to John, the glorified Jesus, resurrected, ascended Jesus, has come to John, and he's, he's speaking to John and showing John things in a vision. And Jesus, at this point, has just given a message to seven of the ancient churches, and then he's going to change pace with John for a moment, and he's going to invite John up into the throne room of heaven. And I just want you to, I want to invite you to close your eyes, which I know is a huge risk on a hot day with fans going, but I'm going to trust that you're going to open them back up. I don't have anything to throw at you. So close your eyes and just listen as I read this. It's just 11 verses. John says, after this, that is after Jesus gave the, the messages to the seven churches, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard, first speaking to me like a trumpet, said to me, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne 
and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Open your eyes. Let's get one thing straight. Worship is about God. Worship is about God. God's glory, the very essence of who he is, his glory necessitates and means that worship is about him. Worship is about him. Worship exists because of God's greatness. I mean, we're reading here in Revelation, I mean, glory and honor and power and strength and praise quite literally physically palpably exist surrounding God. It's It's like a physical presence of his holiness and magnificence. So to extract God from the equation of, or in the question of worship is to extract the necessity of worship. I think we're all probably pretty comfortable with, with, with that truth. If we take, if we take God out of, out of the equation, there's nothing that merits worship. So worship, all-consuming, every bit of it, all-sacrificial, all-encompassing of my being is about God or is about us. Absolutely, one thing straight, it's about God. Turn with me to the end of Revelation, chapter 22, like the end of Revelation. She could go home today and say that we taught out of Revelation and none of the eschatological portions were discussed. So you can keep all of your positions intact and we just, we're just skipping over it. I'm kidding. Revelation 22. Let's start in verse 1. We're going to go verse 1 through 5. Remember, God's glory means that worship is about him. So John writes here, then the angel, sorry, let me put this in context. We're coming to the end of not only the book of Revelation, but the, book, but the end of all recorded scripture. And John has just seen the great judgment where all are passed through the judgment and those whose names are written in the book of life are ushered into God's presence and those who are not are thrown into the lake of fire. And John calls it the second death. And he sees then the new holy city, as he describes it, the new Jerusalem, physically descending from heaven, given by God, descending from heaven, where, where we will inhabit that with him. And then he describes that city. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit and yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign, they will reign forever and ever. Let's get another thing straight. Worship is about us. Worship's about us. 
not in the same way that it's about God. We're not the receivers of worship. But worship is about us. Why? Not because we're the focus in worship. God is our focus in worship. But worship is about us. I want to submit to you because God is not a dormant receiver of worship. Does that make sense? God is not a dormant receiver of worship. As we fully worship God, fully giving our adoration, as Paul writes, with every aspect of our life, living sacrifice with an elbowed out definition of worship of all that I am, giving God, ascribing him glory, worshiping him in that way, God pours out his presence upon us. God pours out his presence upon us. You see, God is not dormant as a receiver of worship. If he was, was, that would make him an idol. Do you ever wonder why God was so clear with the people of Israel about not worshiping idols? You know, I think the easy answer to that, and and it is a true answer, is, well, because he's God and he should be worshiped. He's the one true God, and this idol is not. It's man-made, and that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. And God jealously guards the fact that only he should be worshiped. But here's this. God pours out his presence in response to our worship. And you know what can't do that? An idol. So when God sees his people worshiping an idol, he sees them not only worshiping something that is not the one true God, he sees them giving their adoration and giving their praise and ascribing glory to something that cannot return relationship to them. Can't return its presence to them. Isn't alive to walk with them. But God can. That's why our God can say, my name will be on their foreheads. They will walk with me in light. I will be with them. How did he create Adam and Eve? With them. With them. God is not a dormant receiver of worship. And I think we experience this. We experience this even in our times of worship in song, where we feel prophetically the presence of God come upon us and he begins to speak and we begin to to enjoy a richer manifestation of his presence. For some of you, I believe it's even happening right now and not due to my preaching, just due to the goodness of God. We're worshiping right now and some of you right now, I I, I have a sense that the Lord is, is pouring out his presence and you're beginning to experience that afresh because this is an elbowed out new space, new definition of the realm of worship. You guys okay? Okay? And when, when his presence comes, the fruit of his presence comes. Peace and joy and zeal and pleasure in him and, and, and assurance of who we are in him. And it's God's desire to respond to our worship by the pouring out of his presence and relationship to us. See, God's glory means that worship has to be about him. God's character means that worship is also about us. God's character means that worship is also about us. God, the receiver of our our adoration, we the receivers of his presence. And I want to say very, very quickly, because I want to clarify this. That's not a bargain. It's not a transaction. It's not a vending machine where I put in worship, out comes God's presence, and glad we got to where I really wanted to get. It's not that. It's a design. It's a design because of the character of God. God has revealed himself to us as all-powerful, all-loving, full of mercy, sending his son Jesus Christ to fully reveal the goodness and fullness of the Father. Our response to that, in turn, is to worship him 
with the fullness of who we are, and God in turn pours out his presence upon us. And what can we do when we experience the presence and the revealed character of God, but worship again? (laughs) What can we do? I mean, in short, I just described heaven. We're in his presence. His presence calls us to worship. Our worship, because of the character of God, he pours out his presence and we worship. And it's never, ever, ever, ever going to stop. It's like Moses in Exodus 15 after God closes up the Red Sea behind them and the Egyptian army is beaten and they stop right there and they just celebrate and worship God because he's revealed himself. And what does God do when we worship but pour out his presence? It's a design. It's a godly design. It's a godly relationship and interaction. You see, every, when, when the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, that, that means every. That's, that, that is worship. But the blessing of knowing God, the blessing of knowing him through his son Jesus, is that we are the receivers back of his presence. We're the receivers back of his presence. So, is worship all-encompassing, all-surpassing, no part of my being escapes it? Is worship about God or is it about us? Yes. Yes. You guys okay? I know it's warm. Yes. So really quickly, just to bring, to bring this into land, because I know we've, um, before we got to the sermon, we, we had a great time of worship and song and in communion together. I just want to revisit really quickly Romans 11 and 12. And let's read this, and I want to ask a, a very important question for us in the midst of this. It's going to be on the screen behind me too. When Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, he asks, or has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is where we've gotten to. And then Paul can say to us, because we're new creations in Christ, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he says something that kind of confounds me, and I don't know why he included it. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good pleasing, and perfect will. I'm going to be really honest. I love Paul, but sometimes he throws something in there that I'm like, I don't know why that's, I don't know how that sentence made it in. I just don't. It's a good thing I was not writing Romans. Why does Paul end that the way he does? Why does the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to land with, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect will. I want to submit to you that it's because of this. When God reveals himself and our response is wholehearted worship, and God therefore then pours his, his presence out upon us, with God's presence comes what? God's voice. With God's presence comes God's voice. Clearly. Directly. With God's presence comes his voice. And so, 
the question for me is, if we're a people who's hungry to know and do the will of God by listening to the voice of God, we must be worshipers. We must be worshipers with everything in us. I'll just tell this story quickly. My son, Gideon, uh, there he is in the back. Hey, buddy. He's almost two. He's going to be two in, in about 10 days. And the, the weather we've had over the last couple of weeks with really hot in the day and then the storms at night, the really awesome storms. I grew up in Florida and it's the closest it's ever been to me to feeling like where I grew up. Gideon was just enamored with the thunder. So much so that we pulled up the shades in our house. We turned off all the lights so that the, uh, the storm and the lightning and everything would really come through our, our windows. And every time there was thunder, Gideon would do this. And then he would take this arm and he would go, Dada. Thunder. Hear it. And anytime any of us tried to go around the house and like turn lights back on and like get on with life, he's like, and he'd run in. Dada. Thunder. Hear it. Let me tell you, If we want to hear God's voice, worship is our posture. Worship is our posture. If you are striving and obsessing about hearing the voice of God and getting tossed to and fro and wondering how, what is God's will, what is this and that, be a worshiper with everything sacrificially the way Paul talks about. Because you know what? God is not out to hide himself. He's not sneaking away from you. There's nothing in this book that describes a sneaking away God. Describes a God who's itching to reveal himself. So to hear God's voice, worship is our posture. In a moment, I'm going to ask Chris to come back up, and and we're going to have a time of just, as we always want to prioritize and have a culture of, is, is a time of ministering over one another. And I want to say that even as we enter into that, it's worship. It's worship. Let's have a heart of worship. As we pray over one another, as we come up asking for prayer, as we speak to one another, as we, as we interact with one another, let's remember that the choice is there, the opportunity is there to honor God with everything that we do. And that that is our true and proper act of worship. And that God will respond by pouring out his presence. And with his presence comes his voice. And I want to be a listener, and that means a worshiper of God. So thank you, Lord, that you don't hide yourself. Thank you, Lord, that you are, that you are scratching and itching to reveal yourself to us. And we just say our, our ears and hearts listen to you, and we want our lives to reflect that. And we worship you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.